Father, I thank you so much for the opportunity to be able to share again from your word. Father, this portion has just been weighing upon me so heavily for the past several weeks. And Father, I pray that you would pour out grace upon grace. Father, that as we look again into into this gospel according to Matthew, that you would bring life. Father, that you would open it up to us in power and in strength. And Father, that the word of God would be clear among us. Father, have your way and touch the hearts of these young people today, I pray. Father, I pray that because of today, there would be a word, a sentence, a passage that they would remember for their entire lives. And that, Father, you would do a great work. Father, I am crying out to you for the anointing of the Holy Spirit to accomplish this day what you would have. That the anointing of the Holy Spirit would be poured out. And I lift this to you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Okay, we are in Matthew chapter 5. And we're going to pick up again from verse 17. We're overlapping a bit, and then we'll get into new things. Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. Do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. Whoever then annuls one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever keeps and teaches them shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus says in verse 19, Whoever then annuls one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever keeps and teaches them shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. If ever I stop sharing the truth of what the Word of God says, go somewhere else. God has put before us truth in the Scriptures, and we must preach it, and we must live by it. There really is no other way. There are certain truths that people would like to have shuffled aside and not have to deal with. But we must stick to those core truths. The blood of Christ, for example. That the blood of Christ washes us clean. That it is by His blood that we can come into the presence of the Father. It is by the very blood of Christ. Without the shedding of blood, there absolutely is no forgiveness of sin. And how we must continue to preach that word. And have people realize that it's only by the blood of Jesus that they can come in. That salvation is through grace alone. That grace causes us to ultimately serve God and work and labor for Him. But it is not our work and our labor that justifies us or gets us into heaven. It is by grace alone that we are saved. By grace we are saved. 
It is this message, this message of truth. It is the message that we must be born again. I see so many unbelievers in the line of my work, and I want so much for them to be delivered from the sin that's entangling their lives. And I talk with young people, beautiful young people, who are caught up in sin with absolutely no power, no power in their lives to overcome the pattern of sin. And I want so much to share with them what life is going to be like, what life could be like, if you would be freed from this sin which is entangling you. And the sin ultimately destroys lives. For instance, among teens, those who are sexually promiscuous have six times higher rate of suicide. Six times higher rate of suicide among sexually promiscuous teens. So it does not make people happier. It is a lie from the world. But there is a way of deliverance. And there is no way of just saying, you know, if you do this, if you be good, you don't do that, you'll be all better. That's not the way. There is no solution in that. It is only in the fact that you must be born again. You must be regenerate. You must repent. Repentance means that you're going one direction, you stop and you turn around and you go the other direction. That's what repentance means. There is a regeneration that can only come by confession and repentance. Willing to confess our sins to God. And willing to turn and repent. Turn from the way we are going. Without that, there's no deliverance. And I explain to young people what their lifestyle is going to do to, do to them. But it doesn't do anything without the coming and the turning and repenting and turning to Jesus Christ. Only in Him is there deliverance. And we must continue to preach this message of regeneration only through Jesus Christ and His blood. One pastor went into this church and talked. The whole message was on regeneration and how we need it. And how it can come only through the blood. How we must turn from our sins and come under submission to Jesus Christ. And when he got done, the pastor said to him, Oh, that was a very fine message, but it had no application here, because I'm sure everyone in this congregation is already regenerate, and already under the blood of Jesus Christ. And all I can say is, that poor pastor is probably not even regenerate himself. To think that everyone in his congregation had been regenerate. To think that we all are is not true. We must turn. There must be a turning to the Lord Jesus Christ. There must be a salvation that can come only through Him. There is no other way. There is an everlasting punishment that the Scriptures talk about. An everlasting punishment. Look in in Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 6, reading from verse 1. Hebrews chapter 6. Therefore... Leaving the elementary teaching about Christ, let us press on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works. Look where he starts. There must be, this is the foundation, repentance from dead works. That means that what we do, the works that we do, if we think it's going to get us any closer to God, we're wrong. We must repent. 
turn to God and say, God, have mercy on me because I am a sinner. In 1977, I got on my knees in my room, all alone in my dorm room. And I said, God, forgive me for my sins. Forgive me and come into my life. And from that moment, something changed in my life. I felt a change happen in my life at that moment. When I asked God to forgive me and come into my life. And I remember I didn't tell anyone. And after two weeks, the guy who had shared Christ with me asked me, had I accepted Jesus? And I said, yes, how did you know? He says, because you haven't stopped smiling for two weeks. Something happened in my life. There's a change that can only come through Jesus Christ. No other way. Repentance from dead works, he says at the foundation. Then he says, and faith toward God. This again is a foundation in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. It says, without faith it is impossible to please God. Whoever comes to God must believe that He is and that He is the rewarder of those who seek Him. We must believe that He is. But that's insufficient. It says in James, you believe that God is one, you do well. The demons also believe and shudder. So in other words, just to believe in God is not enough. So if a person says, hey, look man, I believe in God, that's not enough. That is not enough to give them victory over sin. That is not enough to get them salvation. Just to believe in God is not enough. We must believe that He is the rewarder of those who seek Him. If we seek God, He will reward us. This is what faith is. That I believe that if I seek Him, He will reward me. The Bible clearly says without this, there is no way to please God. You will never make God happy without believing that He is for you. That He has good plan for you. And that even if you're on your deathbed, He can bring glory to Himself through this. And you will remain in Him for everlasting. And then it says, faith toward God and of instruction about washing and laying on of hands. This is what we, we do in baptism. I don't understand believers, how they wrestle so much over whether they should get baptized or not. I feel like, oh, what is wrong with you? Wake up! The scriptures clearly say you are to repent and be baptized. If you have not been baptized after receiving a knowledge of the truth, you are walking in disobedience. Would you like me to preach something different that makes you feel good? And that's what the scriptures say. Paul says, you, you, you know, you, you, people have a tendency to go around and to, to just want to acquire teachers that will tickle their ears and make them feel good, the Scriptures say. This is not what we are about. The Scriptures clearly warn us in Matthew chapter 5 that if we take one of the least of these commandments and so twist it and teach others not to obey it, we are going to be called least in the kingdom of heaven. The Scriptures talk about baptism. Believer's baptism. Every baptism in Scripture occurred once somebody believed. There was a dedication of children that we can dedicate them, but there comes a time when you and I have to make a decision for the Lord and say, I will seek you. And we witness that in the waters of baptism. You say, well, that's embarrassing. Good. Be embarrassed for the Lord. May you be embarrassed over and over again for the Lord. May you suffer shame for His name. 
Because blessed are you when men revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely on account of him. Rejoice and be glad for your reward in heaven is great for so they persecuted the prophets who are before you. And woe to you if all men speak well of you. For so they spoke of the persecutors of the prophets. Woe to us if all men speak well of us. And then the other thing in Hebrews chapter 6 verse 2. After washing and laying on of hands. And the resurrection from the dead. Jesus has risen from the dead. There is no doubt about this. He has risen from the dead. He has risen physically from the dead. And then it talks about eternal judgment. There is an eternal judgment. Did you know people really will go to hell? And you will meet people and say, well, I don't believe an all-loving God would send people to hell. Well, that's fine. But that's not what the Scriptures say. And that's not what Jesus taught. There is an eternal judgment. It says it right here. There is an eternal judgment. And this is why we are so emphatic that we must be saved. There isn't any other way. The truth of the resurrection just is right before our eyes. Look in John chapter 20. John chapter 20. There was a man named Thomas who didn't believe that Jesus had risen from the dead. In verse 24, all the other disciples had seen Jesus rise from the dead. Thomas was not there though. In verse 24, John chapter 20, verse 24. But Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples were saying to him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the imprints of the nails, and put my finger into the place of the nails, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Does that sound to you like a man? Who really wants to believe? The man didn't believe. He's like any one of us. He says, look, I hear all you're saying about this, but I just won't believe it until I see him and I stick my finger into the, into the holes in his hands. And I see that, and, and, and I see that hole in his side, as it says, a, a, a Roman centurion had stabbed him in the side and blood and water gushed out. He says, unless I see this, I will not believe. He is like people in our generation. They want absolute proof. Verse 26, And after eight days his disciples were again inside, and Thomas with them, and Jesus came, the doors having been shut, and stood in their midst and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Reach here your finger and see my hands, and reach here your hand." And put it into my side. And do not be unbelieving, but believing. Then Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who do not see and yet believe. Jesus came and he appeared to Thomas. He appeared to all the disciples. He appeared to them again. And he said, Thomas, come here. Me? Yes, come here. I want you to do something. I want you to take your finger and stick it through this hole in my hand. It's okay. I, no, you take your finger and you stick it in this hole in my hand. Now, I want you to do this. 
I want you to take your hand and stick it in this hole in my side. See this big hole right here? Put your hand in. You know what I mean? Put your hand in there, Thomas. And as he puts his hand in there, he feels that Jesus is alive. You cannot put your hand into a living being without feeling the pulse and the heartbeat. And his hand is in the side of Jesus. Jesus has risen physically from the dead. This is the teaching of the scriptures. He has risen physically from the dead. And all sorts of intellectuals will will say, Oh, well, yeah, I can believe in a spiritual thing. It's all spiritual. And the Bible, more than anything, teaches that it's physical. He has physically raised from the dead. And if you don't believe it, you're not saved. How can you say that? Because it says that if we are willing to confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and that God, and that He has risen from the dead, then we shall be saved, it says in Romans chapter 10, verse 9. We must be willing to confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord, and be willing to believe in our hearts that He's risen from the dead. There was no resurrection without the physical resurrection. It was purely a physical resurrection. In Luke, in the last chapter of Luke, it says that Jesus came and He appeared to them, And they thought they were seeing a ghost. And he said to them, have you something to eat? And it says they gave him a piece of broiled fish. And he took it and he ate it in front of them. And he said, a spirit doesn't eat like I am doing. A spirit doesn't have flesh and blood and bones as you see I have. He has risen physically from the dead. These are the basic tenets of our faith that he has called us to. And if we shrink from teaching these, there is no deliverance. And if we shrink from teaching these, we, have, we, 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 we take the risk of being called least in the kingdom of heaven. Every one of these are the foundations of truth for us. Salvation being from, by grace. The name of Jesus being the one in whom we are saved. In Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2 when... The first preaching that Peter did when he preached that first day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, after his message in verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and they said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent, each of you, and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit, we cannot be saved. It is the Holy Spirit that comes into our life when we accept Jesus. It is Him who comes in. And I know there's many people who accept Jesus. You wonder, is the Holy Spirit ever in there? Knock, knock, knock. Are you in there, Holy Spirit? Because I certainly don't see Him coming out of you. And that's where we have to pray, Lord, let the Holy Spirit be manifest in my life and through my life and let it come out. That there would be an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. On the, it, it says in the Scriptures, on the last great day of the feast, in John chapter 7, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. And as the scripture has said, out of his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. If anyone is thirsty, 
let him come to me and drink. And as the scripture has said, out of his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to Jesus and drink. And then out of you will flow rivers of living water. You will begin to touch other people to the extent that you come to Jesus and have your life filled day after day after day with Him. To the extent that you're willing to come to Jesus, then the Holy Spirit will begin to flow out of your life and touch others. You wonder, well, there's nothing happening in my life. Well, are you really spending much time with Jesus? You spend time with Him, you won't be able to contain Him. You will be like the prophet of old who cried out, I tried to hold it in, but I could not. It was like a fire burning within me. I tried to hold it in, but I could not. Even when I'm all upset and bummed out or something, sitting on an airplane, somebody sits next to me, I cannot stop but turn to them and begin to tell them about Jesus Christ. I'm tired, I'm... I'm I feel upset about something, but I can't hold it in. This poor person is perishing, and they are. And you think, if you think, oh, well, you know, it's not important. If God wants them to come, He'll do it through somebody else. No, you lose out, and they may well lose out. It is up to us to open up and to share these truths. These are the basic foundations of our faith. And this is, these are the things that people want to skirt by. Well, you just be good. Just because it doesn't work. It absolutely doesn't work. How do I know? I've tried it on people. I have really tried it. I've tried it with students. Just, you know, beginning. It doesn't work. It just never connects. We must preach that only in Jesus Christ can you be delivered from sin. Only in Jesus Christ can you be delivered from unrighteousness. And that comes through repentance and being born again. This is the foundation of our faith. And Jesus says, if you let one of these things go, and so teach others, you will be living in a doghouse in the kingdom of heaven. So you'll be called least in the kingdom of heaven, in the kingdom of heaven, in an absolute doghouse. It doesn't say you'll lose your salvation, but you'll be called least. And everybody will know. We are to open up and bear witness of this truth. May we never shrink back from this. May I never shrink back from teaching people these foundations of our faith. Okay, let's turn back to Matthew chapter 5. Verse 19, Whoever then annuls one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever keeps and teaches them shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Greatness in the kingdom of heaven will have to do with our adherence to these basic truths of Jesus Christ and are so teaching others. It is up to us. One day you will be parents and you must teach these things to your children. And you will be tired and you will not want to wake up in the morning and start having a little family devotion with your children. But you must or you will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. You must teach these things to your children. You wake up in the morning and you teach these things to your children. And women, if your husband doesn't do it, you do it. You rise to that. And men, be the man in your family and lead them in spiritual things. 
get up in the morning and spend some time on your knees. And then wake up your family and teach them the things of God. You say, well, I'm not a very good teacher. Well, too bad for your family. You're going to teach them anyway. Alright? You teach them anyway. You teach them the truths of God. These basic tenets of our faith. You must teach them or you will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. This is your job. This is what you're called to do. And women, if you are dating some guy and you don't think he has it in him to get up in the morning and to teach others, then break it off. You don't want to be stuck with someone like that. If they can barely pray, they are not the right one for you. If all they can do is say, Jesus, thank you for this food, amen. If that's the only prayer that they can really pray, they are not the right one for you. You are to grow in your faith so that you can teach others. And then you'll be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Men, you rise up to this. This is your call. This is what you have been called to. Or else you will lose your children and you will live in a doghouse for eternity. Matthew chapter 5, verse 20. For I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Remember, the scribes and the Pharisees had put thousands of laws in the Mishnah around every one of the 613 commandments of Moses. And they followed these laws so strictly, but they lost the heart of it all. And Jesus came back and He brought our hearts right back into it. And that's what He says. In the same context, in verse 21, there is no paragraph break here in the Scriptures. It's just all one line. You have heard that the ancients were told, you shall not commit murder. And whoever commits murder shall be liable in the court. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. And whoever says to his brother, you good for nothing, shall be guilty before the Supreme Court. And whoever says, you fool, shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. Therefore, in presenting your offering at the altar, and there you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your offering there before the altar and go first be reconciled to your brother and then come and present your offering. Look what he says. He says that in the context of our righteousness having to surpass that of the scribes and the Pharisees, He says, you've heard it said, you shall not commit murder, and whoever commits murder shall be liable before the court. And then he says, I want to tell you, if you're angry with your brother, you're guilty before the court. You see what Jesus does? He raises the bar. He says, I'm not looking just for external things. I am looking right at your heart. And unless your righteousness comes to this level... He says in verse 20, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven unless your righteousness comes beyond the point of, well, I never killed anyone. Jesus said, have you ever been angry with your brother? That means when we feel anger in our hearts, we are obliged to deal with it and say, God, forgive me for being angry at my brother. Forgive me for being angry at my sister. And God, may I have mercy on them like you have shown to me. May I have mercy on them. Because every one of us put Jesus on the cross. The scriptures tell us that. 
And he has had mercy on us. It says that while we were yet his enemies, he died for us. And he calls us to something higher. He gets right at our heart. And he says, if you should say to your brother, he's a good for nothing. If you say, oh, that guy's good for nothing. Be careful. Repent of that comment. Say, God, forgive me. And it's not that we never make these comments. We make them all the time in our hearts. And our hearts condemn us and show us that we need this regeneration of Jesus Christ. Our hearts show us that we need to daily come in repentance and say, Jesus, have mercy on me. There is no good thing that dwells in me, as Paul said. There is nothing good in my flesh. Who is going to save me from this body of sin and death, Paul cries out. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. It is He who can save us from this body of sin and death. You think you're something, you are not, you are nothing. Before tomorrow you will once again sin. And every day we must come before Jesus and say, God have mercy on me. Forgive me. And then if you call your brother a fool, he says, you are guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. God, forgive me for what I have said about my brothers. Forgive me for holding and harboring bitterness. Forgive me. People will offend us. They will hurt us. And we must release that. We are to bless those who curse us and pray for those who mistreat us, the Scriptures say. You say, well, that person isn't really my brother. Well, too bad. Jesus was very specific when He said, it's the, it could be just a person walking by. You never know. You release this. He calls us to something different. Are you harboring something against anyone? Against anyone. Many young women struggle with this. They have been abused physically. They've been raped. They've been molested. Young men have been molested. And they feel this thing and they feel this pain against this person who's done it to them. And what I'm crying out to you and saying do is ask the forgiveness of God to be upon them. And say, God, have mercy upon me for not forgiving them. And work in my heart an attitude of forgiveness. That you get your heart right with God. And that you don't have to then carry that the rest of your life. You release it to God and be free. Because while we were yet His enemies, He died for us. And I am not the one calling you to forgive that person. Jesus is the one. Jesus is the one. And that is the beautiful thing about speaking His word. Thus saith the Lord. It is not me. If I have a servant and I say, go to such and such a house and deliver this message. And the servant goes and delivers that message. If that person gets upset with the servant, they have a problem. The servant's just the messenger. They're to get upset with me. I'm the one who sent them. But if the messenger goes and changes the message, then the messenger bears that himself. In the same way, if we preach God's message and God's word then He is the one who you go to. He is the one that people need to turn to. This is His Word. He says, if you're presenting your offering at the altar, and you know that your brother has something against you, go and try to make it right with your brother. Now, your brother may not forgive you, but then it's upon him. Then it's upon him. I've offended all sorts of people. I guarantee you, for all the people you've offended, I've offended ten times more. Well, how do I know? Because, number one, I'm older than you. Right? Number two, my mouth is bigger than your mouth. 
So I've, I've offended a whole lot more people than you have. And number three, I just have very little barrier between what's in here and what comes out here. All right? So I've offended a lot more people. And there's some people that don't want to forgive me for what I've said or what I've done to them when I've spoken my own word to them. But then that's upon them. I've gone back and I've dealt with it. And I said, Lord, I've dealt with it. And I'm free. I am free. But you must go back and try. And then once I've done it, I've done it. And I tell you, I am free. Then he says in verse 25, Make friends quickly with your opponent at law while you are with him on the way, so that your opponent may not hand you over to the judge and the judge to the officer, and you be thrown into prison. Truly I say to you, you will not come out of there until you have paid the last cent. He says, make friends quickly with your opponent at law while you are with them on the way, so that your opponent may not hand you over to the judge. As believers, we are to be non-litigious people. Our society stinks. I mean, somebody looks at you funny, you want to sue them. I mean, this is what our society is. I was in a car accident. I was, I was in the back of a cab. And, and somebody ran a red light. The cab ran into the side of them. And, and my ribs were all messed up because I had my seatbelt on, thankfully, or I'd have been right through the cab window. And, and the insurance company is saying, well, how many days' work did you, did you lose? And I gave them the number of days' work. I said, but it's covered by workman's comp. And, they, and so they sent me a check. I said, I don't need your money. I don't need your money. My, my expenses were paid, and I sent it back. And they're like, what are you doing? I said, I don't need your money. I have no intention of suing anybody. It was a mistake. The poor girl ran a stoplight. It wasn't the cab driver's fault. I mean, they're, they're surprised at this. We are not supposed to be litigious either. People do us wrong. We're not supposed to sue them. It says do whatever you can to get out of a lawsuit. Do whatever you can, so much so that while you're on your way to court, if you can talk to this person and get it right, get it right. We as believers are supposed to be different. We're supposed to be different, and that means sometimes you lose some money. But let me tell you something. My experience, and I've seen it many times, and I've, I have two companies and I've been in business, and I've seen corporate lawsuits, and one of the things I most regret with one, one of my companies is the board decided to sue a former CEO. And I was on the board, and I was part of that decision. And it was the worst mistake we ever made. I'm telling you, if you hear all these people that made money during lawsuits, that's one out of ten. Nine times out of ten, everybody lost. Everybody lost, and only the lawyer got money. Nine times out of ten. And you say, well, you know, I've already gone so far, I've already filed, and, you know... No, you stop. You cut your losses and you stop right there. In Second in, in Chronicles chapter 20, in Second Chronicles chapter 20 is an example of this. In Second Chronicles chapter 20, one guy, one, one king went ahead and, I'm sorry, Second Chronicles chapter 25. One king, Amaziah, went ahead and hired the children of Israel. He was from the tribe of Judah. He hired 100,000 soldiers from the tribe of Israel to help defend him in battle. And it says that he hired in verse 6, 
Second Chronicles 25, verse 6. He hired 100,000 valiant warriors out of Israel for 100 talents of silver. But a man of God came to him saying, O king, do not let the army of Israel go with you, for the Lord is not with Israel nor with any of the sons of Ephraim. But if you do go, do it, be strong for the battle. Yes, God will bring you down before the enemy, for God has power to help and to bring down. Amaziah said to the man of God, But what shall I do for the hundred talents of silver which I have given to the troops of Israel? And the man of God answered, The Lord has much more to give you than this. And Amaziah dismissed them and the troops which came to him from Ephraim to go home, so that their anger burned against Judah, and they returned home in fierce anger. What does it say? It says that Amaziah wrongly hired a hundred thousand men for a for, for, uh, for hundred talents of silver. He spent all this money. A man of God comes to him and says, cut your losses, don't take them. The Lord will use you. But remember, he can bring you down or he can raise you up. It's up to the Lord. And so he released them. He cut his losses. Just because you were even involved in a lawsuit, I am telling you, release it. Let it go. You say, well, I've spent $2,000 already on it. Well, let it go because it's going to end up costing you another 2000 Let it go. We as believers are supposed to be different. You want me to teach you something different? Find another book for me to preach out of then. This is the book that I've got. It says you do everything to avoid lawsuits. We are to be different. We are to be a different sort of people. You say, well, they did, they did the wrong. I didn't. Well, good. Let them make restitution. If, and if they don't, God has much more than that for you. He has much more than that for you. Release it and be free. And you will be rich in spirit. And you will have a rich family that goes far beyond the riches of this world. You will have the riches of God in your heart if you live by this. I was talking to one guy about making restitution and, 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 and dealing rightly. He says, why should I be the one to initiate it? I think the other person should initiate it. I said, no, because you are the believer. You have been called to something greater than the person of the world. You are the one to go and initiate it. And to go and make things right. We are the ones who have to initiate it. As parents, you will find this. Often your kids will do wrong and as they're grown, you go as parents and you initiate this. Okay, okay, okay. I know, you're right, all right? All right. And, and, and you have to do this as a parent. Very often. As a believer, you have to learn to initiate the restitution process. You go and you repent. And instead of saying... We're both wrong, but for what I did, I... No, forget about his part. You just say, for what I've done to you, I am sorry. Please forgive me. And leave it at that. If that person initiates to you their wrong, that's up to them. But you repent for your wrong and move on with it. And if you have done them no wrong, just say, I have no case here. And just get on with it. Say, I have no dealings here. I have no case here. All is forgiven from my side. And move on. Move on. And live your life differently. That's what He calls us to. Let's close in prayer. Father, thank You so much for the truth of Your Word. That You call us to something different. You call us to a different life. And You call us to maintain the integrity to Your Word. And the basic foundations of our faith. Of repentance from dead works. Of faith toward God of washings in baptism. 
and realizing that there's an eternal judgment. Father, I pray that you would never let us lose track of these things and that the world doesn't like to hear about the blood. May we preach about the blood all the louder. May we indeed testify that Jesus has died on the cross and without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness of sin. And without repentance and turning to Jesus Christ there is no salvation and there is no victory over sin. Without Jesus Christ there can be no victory. And Father, I pray that you would take each young person here and you would just drill this right into their hearts. Make it the core of their very being. And Father, for those here that don't know you, may they fall in repentance before you and say, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And that you would come into their lives by the power of the Holy Spirit and that they would see victory over sin and lust and death. And Father, for those who have no victory who are here, Father, I pray that they would begin to spend time with you so that out of their innermost being would flow rivers of living water, would flow the Holy Spirit, and that they would so teach others, lest they be called least in the kingdom of heaven. And Father, I pray that you would keep us from calling our brothers a fool or speaking evil against our brother, lest we go into the fiery hell, as Jesus has said. And Father, I pray that you would teach us to be different than our society, to not want to sue, to, to avoid these things, to stay out of court, to make peace even on the way. And Father, I pray that you would bring us into all truth and free us. And may your will be done in our lives. In the name of Jesus. Amen.